We're glad you've joined us today for Meeting with God. Meeting with God is the radio preaching ministry of Vertical Church in Columbus. We're continuing our series called The Power of Worship, and today we're going to listen to the second part of a message called A New Perspective on Making Disciples. You know, God has such a heart for making disciples. The worship of an idol, what Paul's going to address when we get to chapter 10, he's going to talk about how worship of an idol is actually demonic. Okay? So two things are happening. Stronger brother goes to the temple. He just eats some meat. It doesn't mean anything to him. He's not worshiping. He knows that those idols are nothing. He has no intent to worship whatsoever. But weaker brother goes to that same place, and in his mind, he's thinking that the stronger brother's going to worship. And he's like, hey, well, you know, we're in the Roman Empire. We have multiple gods. That's okay. I can worship over here and then go back and worship Jesus Christ. And his confusion and lack of understanding, this weaker brother is defiled. And he worships demons. So there's two big things going on here. And the sad thing is this stronger brother who loves the Lord and probably wants to see this weaker brother. Maybe they're even in the same small group for all I know. You like that? Maybe they're in the same small group. And this weaker brother, the, the stronger brother, loves him. He wants to see him grow in Christ. And yet, through his example, he leads the weaker brother into sin. Now, he's not meaning to do that. It's kind of like this. How does that happen in our day? Well, think about this. As I've mentioned many times, I, don't, I think Scripture is fine with people drinking wine, beer. I don't think the Bible has a problem with that. It's how you do that that matters. But imagine, for instance, we have a stronger brother. No problem, no history of alcoholism, no problem with alcohol whatsoever. But he just loves giving some freedom, drinking a glass of wine. Well, weaker brother who's just come to Jesus Christ and out of a situation of alcoholism, he sees stronger brother and you know, maybe he's in a form of AA and he's trying to completely get away from alcohol and he needs to cut it off completely. Uh, my grandfather was an alcoholic. That's part of why I don't drink because I don't want to go there. I don't even want to test that, okay? No, y'all have, have, a good, have a drink. Go home and have a drink. I don't care. But the problem is for this weaker brother who has a problem with alcohol, when he sees the stronger brother, you know, having a glass of wine, he's like, oh, I guess I can do that too. And before you know it, he is right back in the ditch again where he was before he met Christ. He's in drunkenness. I mean, imagine if you came to church one week and you, you know, maybe you're here, I'll, I'll imagine you're a guy, and, and you see Sue and, and Sue and Billy have just come to Jesus Christ and you're so excited and you see Sue and you're like, hey, how's it going? And Sue doesn't look so great. And you're like, well, hey, where's Billy? I'm so glad he's grown in the Lord and all that. And Sue turns to you and she says, well, you know what? Um, Billy saw you having a glass of wine the other day. And um, he went home, and um, he had a beer, then another one, then another one. And right now he's passed out on the couch, throwing up, because he's back in the ditch. Can you imagine how that would feel? And then if Sue turns to you and goes, yeah, he was really looking up to you because you were his example. He really thought you were somebody that was following Jesus Christ, so that's what, that he wanted to follow your example, and he thought he had the freedom to do that. Do you know how devastating that would be? That's what Paul's impressing on the people here. Your little bit of freedom used wrongly can devastate the life of a newer believer or an immature believer. I think some of us, you know, if you're, if you're that guy hearing this thing, you might be like, I'm so sorry. And then under your breath, you're like, but that's not my fault. I was just, I was just enjoying some of my freedom in the Lord. Like, why, how come this, how come Billy's dependent on me? That's not right. But that just means you have a very limited understanding of what it means to be a disciple maker. 
means you have a very little sense of how important it is that you set a proper example. You know, right here is the rub or the issue at stake. If you're a more mature believer, I'm telling you what's going to frustrate you at times is the fact that you need to be concerned about a weaker brother. Your perspective on your weaker brother or sister says a lot about what you think about making disciples. The issue, my perspective on weaker believers. You have two choices. You can call it, it's my bother to be avoided, an interruption to my agenda or my freedom. Do you look at immature people like that in your small group? That person, oh man, why, why can't they just get over that thing and move on? Why can't they just grow out of that? Why do they ask for prayer about that again? Or maybe it's at home. Why can't my kids get that? I've said that to them 700 times. They're such a bother. Why can't they figure it out? I've prayed for them so many times. My knees are sore and they still don't get it. They're a bother to me. Or the other perspective is it's my brother to be served, brother or sister. Brother to be served. My God-given privilege in disciple-making. It's all in your perspective. How you view weaker brothers determines what your ministry of eternal impact is going to be. If you look down on that person as a bother, if it's a bother to you, that bother, oh, bother, um, you're not going to have a very fruitful ministry on earth. But if you look at that person as a brother and as an opportunity to see them grow in Christ and then to see them multiply their impact into their circles and their work and their family, you'll have a great eternal impact. But it all hinges on your perspective. Some of us are tempted to have the attitude of, hey, don't tread on my freedom in Christ. I was imagining a nice little Christian slogan with a nice little flag there, you know, don't tread on my freedom. That's not what I want flying at my house. It's not what I want flying in my ministry and any of ours. You know, I read a quote by um, Paul Tripp. I want to read this to you. He says this, I have visited northern India several times. For most of the year, this part of the world is extremely dry and hot. I once endured a temperature of 100, 127 degrees in New Delhi. During the dry season, northern India looks parched and barren, but the Indians know that change is on the way. Hope comes from the south as torrential seasonal rains called monsoons make their way up the continent. And when the rains finally reach northern India and satiate the parched ground, it is as if someone flicks on a switch. The earth explodes into bloom. In a matter of days, northern India is alive with exotic leaves and flowers. And he says this, the transformational power of God's word is no less dramatic. Personal ministry brings the monsoon of God's word to a parched terrain of the heart. Though a complete transformation will not take place overnight, our lives will burst forth in new beauty of character and new fruitfulness of life. I love that picture. I want to read that last part to you. Though a complete transformation will not take place overnight, our lives will burst forth in new beauty of character and new fruitfulness of life. You know, that's exactly the process of disciple making. It doesn't happen overnight. Now, the result is the same, but I love the fact that he says this process isn't overnight. 
And the reality is, though we, we are so excited, there's nothing more, I'm telling you, there's nothing more exhilarating than seeing somebody give their life to Jesus Christ. There's nothing more. When their life goes from an eternity separate from God to an eternity devoted to God, when they give their sins up and they embrace Jesus Christ as Savior and the light that comes into their eyes and their life, the spiritual light of God's truth comes in, there's nothing greater. But sometimes we expect that if that happens, that overnight it's all going to be different. And the reality is that's not true. It takes time. It takes growth. That's the process of sanctification. Disciple making is a process. If you look back up to verse 1, remember what Paul said? He said, this knowledge puffs up, but love builds up. That's the process that we should be looking at and expecting and giving our lives to. I'm going to tell you, disciple-making is a privilege that brings great joy if you know what's coming. Something that I've learned over the last year, one of the, probably the top things I've learned in the last year and a half about church and how to do church in a way that's honoring to the Lord is about the value of culture. The culture in a church is everything. If the culture is focused on Jesus Christ and exalting him, everything else will line up. If the culture is wrong it will destroy the church from the inside out. It's not just about having nice logos on the front. It's not just about having smiling people at the door, though we have some great smiling people. We're a very loving place. But the love that we have here is based on a culture, a way of thinking, a way of understanding God's word. It's a way of approaching God's word. We have a culture here. And the thing that I want to ask you to do, no matter where you are on the maturity thing, if you're a brand new believer or you're not a believer and we would love to talk to you today. That's where you find yourself. But if you're a new believer or a growing believer, mature believer, reproducing believer, no matter where you are on that continuum, I want to challenge you with something very important. If we're going to build a culture that's honoring to Jesus Christ and gives glory to his name, we have to have a culture that embraces people where they're at and helps them grow. And I'm going to tell you why that's so important. In your small group, small groups are meant to be a base of growth and nurture and fellowship. But if in that place, there's not an opening to share freely and to be cared for, what will happen is people will stick their neck out once, but once they realize that it's not reciprocated or not, that they're not being cared for or they're kind of cut off in conversation, they will never share again. And some people will never, ever share again, especially guys. That's why men's ministry and how we do it is so important. If men feel that I'm going to get, somebody might tell somebody else what's going on in my life for real, or I don't feel comfortable, or, or if, if, if I share, um, I'm not sure that other people will share like me, men will clam up, and they will, they will never grow in depth in their lives. But it's not just in small groups. The same is true when we end the service here. If we have a thing of like, hey, do you notice who went up for prayer? I think that person was crying up there. Wow, that, that message, that must have been really speaking into their lives. Wow, they really need it too. If we have a mindset like that, where we look at people coming for ministry as something that's lower or below me, that will cut off the transformation going on. And all the effort and all the prayer and all the work in God's word and worship and ministry in the children's ministry and all that's going on, the hours and hours at work will come to nothing or next to nothing. Because people will feel afraid to let God work in their lives. I'm telling you, the people that come up here are the people that God's working in. They are the people that are humble. They are the people that are saying, God, yes, something's going on in here, and I need some prayer for that. I'm not saying you should come up here every time. It's not status. You don't get a star by coming up. You know, oh, I got a star. I went up for prayer. I'm not saying that. 
What I'm saying is we want to build a culture of care and love for people. And when they respond to what God's speaking in their hearts, it's a place where that's celebrated, not looked down on. Hi, this is Pastor Luke Aarons from Vertical Church Columbus. Did you know that these Meeting with God messages actually come from sermons given at our church home, Vertical Church Columbus? You know, in addition to hearing God's word proclaimed every week, you'll find a warm, loving church family of authentic followers of Jesus Christ. If you live in Columbus, Ohio, but are not currently connected to a church home, we'd love to invite you to visit us at 1290 Old Henderson Road in Columbus near the intersection of 315 and Henderson Road. I remember feeling as a preacher's kid, I'm not sure if it was because I was a preacher's kid, but I remember all, when they would do certain altar calls or time to come forward for ministry. And as a kid, I was like, I'm never going up there. I don't want people to think that about me, which was partially really arrogant and proud and partially fearful. You know what I'm saying? I want to ask for your help. As a pastor, nothing means more to me than the fact that you take making disciples as serious as a heart attack. Okay? I can't build that culture myself. That's what we as a family build together. That's why we're in this together. Well, notice what verse 12, what Paul says. He just given the example. Now he says this. Thus, sinning against your brothers and wounding their conscience when it is weak, you sin against Christ. Notice the seriousness in Paul. He doesn't say that's a mistake. He says it's sin. Now, one of the things in our family that we enjoy doing is we enjoy having rubber band fights. Some of you like that? When you have three boys in your family, that's a great opportunity to have a little bit of fun. Well, uh, Isaiah and Elijah and I will uh, get the rubber bands out and have some fun. But Micah now is getting old enough where he can sort of see, like, wow, they're having a lot of fun. That must be really fun to shoot rubber bands. So he'll come prancing in, grab a rubber band, and go like this. He hooks his thing, goes, oh! And he's like, but it still looks fun. Oh, okay. And he keeps doing it like that, right? And I've been trying to teach him, nope, it's got to keep the thumb up like that. And then there, see, it goes. Sorry. Still working on my aim. You know, that's true in how we approach other believers. Sometimes we can let younger believers keep doing this, 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 if we don't care for them if we're not concerned about where they're going in their life with Christ. And I don't want that. Because someday, if they keep going like this enough times, they're going to go, yeah, this isn't for me. And they'll walk out and never experience the joy and peace and celebrate what God could do in their lives. And much more important than a little snap on the thumb, I want you to hear the notes in the text that Paul says, and so by sinning against your brothers and wounding their conscience... It's a lot worse than just getting snapped on the thumb here. He says, wounded their conscience. Literally in the text, literally would mean inflicting or striking with a blow. Inflicting or striking with a blow to their conscience. Now, what is a conscience? Anybody know what a conscience is? Like, I hear a lot of talk about it. I just keep my conscience clear. But what is that thing, Pastor? Tell me what it is. All right, I'll give you a definition. A conscience is a God-given moral compass for choosing acceptable or unacceptable conduct. Again, it's a God-given moral compass for choosing acceptable or unacceptable conduct. I want to give you a few quick notes about the conscience. I'm going to explain this a little bit more from God's Word. It's important to know what we're talking about if we're going to wound somebody. 
Well, first, both believers and non-believers have one. If you look at Romans chapter 2, verse 15, he's talking about non-believers and their conscience. The difference is their conscience isn't developed, but they still have it. You ever noticed? You know, you might have a good, you might have a neighbor down the street, or you might have a friend at work, and you're like, they're pretty nice people. Like they would, I would never think they would murder me. Well, clearly they got something going on in their lives. Well, yes, they have a conscience. They have the imprint of God on their conscience saying, that's wrong. Don't do that. Now it's not clear the way a believer's is, but they still have a conscience. Here's the second thing. The conscience can be strengthened by memorizing God's word, applying God's word, reading God's word, studying God's word. A conscience can be developed. You ever, you ever see one of those like five cent compasses that you get, like kids get in like those, like what are those things that they smash with all the candy in them and they put all the little toys and candy in them? Pinata, pinata, right. That thing blows up and they got these little five cent compasses and like you could turn it. And if you held it north, it would get you pointed either somewhere between Seattle and Maine, Okay. It's not very good. But then as you get a better compass, like the one I have on my phone, if you told me go straight north for two miles, you will find my house exactly, I could use that and I could walk right to your house because the compass is developed. It's more articulate, if you will. Well, the same is true with our conscience. If we want to know what God wants us to do, we got to know some things. And that conscience has to be developed. Here's a third thing. The conscience must be maintained. 1 Timothy uh, chapter 1, uh, Paul said this, uh, This charge I entrust to you, Timothy, my child, in accordance with the prophecies previously made about you, that by them you may wage the good warfare, holding faith and a good conscience. And by rejecting this, some have made shipwreck of their faith. It must be maintained. Here's the final thing about a conscience. It can be defiled or seared. Uh, if you want to write this down, this text, 1 Timothy chapter 4, verse 2. And then I'm going to read another one from Titus, chapter 1, verse 15. Paul says to Titus, to the pure, all things are pure, but to the defiled and unbelieving, nothing is pure, but both their minds and their consciences are defiled. Even believers, consciences who have been built up, if they don't maintain it, can become defiled, kind of like grabbing onto a light bulb. If it's really hot and you hold on to it for a long time, your fingers will be burned to the point, eventually, where you won't even be able to feel anything. The same is true in a believer's life. I could do things, I mean, people end up doing things, you're like, he would never have done that 10 years ago. Yeah, it's because he hasn't been maintaining his conscience. And now he doesn't feel anything anymore. It's kind of like taking that little compass that you might have, a nice little compass. If you keep smashing it on the ground and you don't maintain it, someday you're going to pick it up and it won't get you anywhere. In fact, you'll be completely lost. That's what many non-believers are like. They're completely lost without God and without hope in this world. So what Paul's saying is that the stronger believers can wound the conscience of a weaker brother. Notice then at the end of the verse, it says that when we do this, we sin against Christ. To hurt a brother or sister, it's not just um, a mistake. It's sin. The gravity of that should hit us. If I don't care about the people in my family growing in Jesus Christ, and I don't care about how I use my freedom, it's sin. And it's not just any sin, it's sin against Jesus Christ. I want to get to the bigger issue. Usually sin, sin comes from the heart. Uh, we've been talking about the idols of the heart. Idols, even maybe you might call this evangelical idols. I want to give you the idol to think about here. 
It's the idol of a loveless, selfish individualism. It's killing the American church. We love our individualism. I do my life the way I want to. I go home and I, I shut my door so my kids can't bother me and I watch my television show on my 60-inch flat screen TV because that makes me feel better. It's all about the individual. It's about my rights, my privileges, the things I want for me, me, me. Well, I'm telling you, that doesn't stop at the church door. That follows you in. And those patterns in our culture invading the church have left us in a place where many people are like, oh, that brother, yeah, sorry he hit the ditch. That's so sad. We gossip a little bit about him until we're done talking about him, and then he's gone. That's not the way God wants us to do church. That's not making disciples. That's inflicting wounds on disciples. You were in a series about worship. What does it mean to worship? The power of worship. Worshiping Christ without love for my brother or sister is, it's inconceivable. The thought that we would worship Jesus Christ and not care for our brother and sister, it's, to Christ, it's inconceivable. How could we live that way? Paul says, verse 13, final verse. He says, therefore, if food makes my brother stumble, I will never eat meat, lest I make my brother stumble. The passion there is not because he wants to get away from meat. It's because he loves his brother so much. Paul gave his life to see these people come to Jesus Christ. He loved his brothers and sisters in Christ so much, more than his own life. And he's saying, if, if meat's the issue, well then get the meat away from me. I don't care anything about meat. I'll give it up for the rest of my life. I love my brother. Can you imagine being in a church filled with that kind of passion for people? That's awesome. You know, I think about what Paul's seeing here is you notice how kids, kids imitate everything we do. If you've been a parent or you've been around young kids, you know how kids are apt to imitate everything. As a parent, one of the things you have to grow into is the fact that I got to be careful what I'm doing because little eyes are watching me, all right? And when I go, you know, jumping down the steps, two steps at a time, a little junior might not be able to do that quite the right way. We'll end up in a pile at the bottom. And so many of us know what that's like. You got to really think if I do this or I use that sharp knife and I leave it in the wrong place, I can cut my food up, but little junior might be cutting himself up. And you think like that. That's how we need to think in Christ. Okay, I'm not saying we don't do anything. You just got to think about what you do and watch who's there. And I would say as parents, sometimes we're like, well, the weaker brother, that's the you know 35-year-old guy that just started coming to church. I'm gonna tell you the disciples that need to be impacted the most are probably in your own house. I mean, when kids are born, they don't come in with like a Christian download in their head. They're learning it from us. And as parents, we're called to model it, sometimes by doing it right, sometimes by failing and apologizing and getting things right. They need to see all of that. That's what we as believers are called to do with each other. This should be our commitment to each other in Christ. I will live with sacrificial, patient, relentless love toward you as you grow in Christ. We should be telling that to each other every day. Listen, I'm going to live with sacrificial, patient, relentless love because I love you in Jesus Christ. Could you show me that in the text? I sure can. Notice the end of verse 11. It says, And so by your knowledge, this weak person is destroyed, the brother for whom Christ died. That's the model. The model is self-sacrifice, life-giving up. Then verse 12. 
It says, in wounding their conscience, when it is weak, you sin against Christ. That's the opposite of what we should be doing. Our worship for Christ, the model we should be giving to one another is patient, relentless love that drives people toward Jesus Christ, not away from him. Here's the final note. Worship is demonstrating a commitment to sacrificial, patient, and relentless love. Think about the love that Jesus Christ loved us with. So many of us have testimonies. And when we were in the ditch and digging deeper, and Jesus Christ grabbed us by the collar and said, I'm not letting you go there. I'm going to keep putting people around you if I have to go halfway to China to get you. You keep digging, but I'm going to keep pulling. That's the love of Jesus Christ. That love is difficult. Relentless love is costly love. I want to be in a church full of disciple makers that love Jesus Christ and are willing to give it most when it costs the most. Thank you so much for listening to Meeting with God, the radio ministry of Vertical Church in Columbus, Ohio. Vertical Church exists to glorify God through the fulfillment of the Great Commission and the spirit of the Great Commandment by making disciples of Jesus Christ. If you live in Columbus and currently do not have a church home, we would love to invite you to worship with us. Our worship services meet at our church home at 1290 Old Henderson Road. Our church family is warm, loving, and would be so happy to meet you. If you currently do not have a place to worship this weekend, would you join us? As always, thank you for listening, and we hope you'll join us next week for your meeting with God. Meeting with God is the teaching ministry of Vertical Church Columbus. For more information, go to verticalchurch.life.